Hello and welcome to the CRV Podcast. My name is Jeff Wright. I'm one of the regular contributors to the CRV website. On this special bonus episode, we're partnering up again with Pop Culture Quorum Deo to release an interview with the authors of The Pop Culture Parent about how and why Christians should approach pop culture with seriousness and joy, as well as how to use pop culture to aid the work of making disciples of Jesus Christ. The first voice you will hear in our conversation is that of Dr. Ted Turno, Senior Lecturer at Anglo-American University of Prague in the Czech Republic. Ted has degrees from the University of Virginia and Westminster Theological Seminary. He's the author of Popologetics, Popular Culture and Christian Perspective. You will also hear from Mr. E. Stephen Burnett. Stephen is an advocate of great storytelling to the glory of Christ as the publisher of Lorehaven Magazine and co-host of the Fantastical Truth podcast. Dr. Jared Moore rounds out the conversation. Jared has a Ph.D. in systematic theology from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and has served in pastoral ministry since 2000. All right, let's get going on my conversation with the authors of The Pop Culture Parent. Gentlemen, welcome to the Pop Culture Quorum Dale podcast. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, I am super excited, and I know that's probably an overused phrase, but it's literally true. I'm super excited to talk to you all about a book that um, I've been looking forward to for some time because I've got to kind of sample a little bit of it, and I've seen the goodness. But when we think about the pop culture parent, and we want to help our listeners get to know that book in such a way they run to their favorite book distributor and buy it. Can we just start by asking how the book came together? You're an eclectic group of contributors. So how did you guys get on the same page to write this book? Um, as I understand it, Stephen and Jared already had something kind of brewing. And then uh, I did a book it, back in 2012 called Papologetics. And I was doing some teaching on the book at uh, our home church in Winston-Salem. And uh and every time I, I, I did a, a bunch of speaking gigs on Papologetics in 2013, summer of 2013, because we live in the Czech Republic. We only get back every other summer. And every place I went to, somebody, a grandparent or a parent would say, you know, this sounds really, really cool, uh, engaging popular culture. But how do I how do I explain this to my child or my grandchild? And um and I just kept getting that question again and again. And finally, I was teaching at our home church, our home-based church in Winston-Salem, and it came up again. And I said, all right, fine, let's address the elephant in the room. And I just rambled for 40 minutes about, here's some thoughts that I have about how you do this with kids, because I did do it with kids, I, my own, and I was a youth pastor once upon a time. And after that, after that uh Two women came up, two of my friends, both moms, and they started poking me in the chest and they said, we need a book about this. You should have written a book about this five years ago. What have you been doing? Get busy. I was like, OK, OK, OK. And so uh, in my uh, as I was processing this, because uh, I was working on another book, which I'm still working on. So as I'm processing this, I tweeted out in my in my uh enthusiasm, I guess I need to do a kids, a, a popologetics for kids. 
And that's when Stephen emailed me and said, hey, me and Jared are doing something similar. So you guys want to join forces or do you want to have a race? I think it was one of a race. Yeah, I, I mentioned, I think it was actually a tweet, first of all. So it may still yeah, yeah, yeah. be out there in my Twitter history if anybody wants to go back and find something to cancel me for. But yeah, <laughs> that, that conversation was in public at first and it was it was a great uh, working relationship of all, all from there. Yeah. So I didn't know these guys. They just tweeted at me and I was like, oh, huh. Well, if it's a race, you guys win because um, I'm working on this other book. But let's talk and see what happens. And I sent them my recording of my ramble to the to the church that morning. And they said, yeah, yeah. And we discussed and <clears throat> and I think it's fair to say that we have somewhat different perspectives, but we've got enough that the Venn diagram overlaps a lot. And so we've got enough that we enriched each other's perspectives and pulled each other in, in creative ways. Stephen, would you, um, would you speak to that and then kind of take it where you want to? I, I've heard you talk about how this book came together in terms of your vocational roles off air. And I think listening to it now would be profitable to our listeners. So can you kind of walk through how you and Ted and Jared uh, have combined forces like Captain Planet to deliver us a very excellent Captain and unique. <laughs> so does that mean that we are we're fighting the villains out there like Captain Sludge and uh, mixed Mister Toxic and any of those other really Transformers? That's much better reference. <laughs> Interesting that we had um, that interaction over Twitter because as I remember, actually, I'm pretty sure Ted that by that point you and I had, or I may have uh, hosted an article from you, Ted, at the blog that is now part of the the Lorehaven Network, uh, Lorehaven.com. That may have been okay. before then. Uh, it, it, either way, I, I we had been in contact or something, even just as a as a reader uh, author relationship there. And Jared and I had also connected in a similar way because I had seen some of his work, uh, some of his self published works about. Harry Potter and such. And so Jared and I had written a series um, in our in our own way, trying to apply what we understood of, of the classical education model to the idea that parents need to move from point A to point B as we're understanding how to engage popular culture. You don't flip a switch from protect the kids to suddenly the kids can go out and they'll automatically know which movies to watch and which movies to avoid. And you have to move from understanding those elementary principles to you know more of a rhetoric type stage where you are actually able to put those ideas into practice biblically, the ideas that they've learned, they can now apply on their own uh, to discerning and, and, and exploring a popular culture because we are living in that world. It is unavoidable. And as I think we argue in the book, uh, we shouldn't try to avoid it. Popular culture is an idea that God gave to people to make culture, including popular culture. And each of us approaches that from I mean, we're all parents one way or another uh, now, uh, but each of us generally has a, a, a different vocation there. Ted does a lot of teaching, uh, so I call him the teacher. Uh, Jared is, is a pastor as well as a father, so I would call him the pastor. His perspective is much more pastoral. Uh, and as for me, I mean, I am a I'm a fiction writer who ends up in this territory just because I want to understand what is the place of fiction in God's universe and how do we view it, not just redemptively or not just as a tool to teach morals or educate in some other way or understand justice issues or such. But what is the point of stories to glorify God and how is that a means of worship for God's people as we're creating culture to reflect God's image back to him? So each of us has those perspectives, but as Ted said, they overlap enough 
that we felt comfortable writing this project, you know, specifically applying a lot of the ideas in Ted's book, Apologetics, to this parenting journey. Excellent. Well, I do think in some ways I'm, I'm like the perfect person to testify to the strengths y'all bring because uh, I read Ted's book several years ago, uh, Popologetics, when it came out in a study group here locally. It's where I met your work, Ted. Uh, Jared introduced me to Stephen. And so I started drinking up the Lorehaven work. And of course, Jared and I have been having these conversations for years. And so when I was given access to some early material from this book, I thought, well, of course, of course, these streams are going to flow into the, just a wonderful kind of river that's going to be profitable to the church. Uh, Jared, I would ask you a question about branding because the title of the book is Pop Culture Parent. Uh, I clearly read it with my parent glasses on, but I also read it thinking, oh, I wish every pastor I knew read this book. Mm -hmm. So when you think about primary audience and then secondary audiences, who do you hope is going to pick this book up to give it a read? And then who do you hope they pass it to next? Yeah, we we hope. I mean, Pop Culture Parent, we're aiming at parents primarily, but um, any pastor is going to be interested in forming um, anyone at discipleship, you know. And Pop Culture provides a unique way where we can enjoy uh, God's fingerprints through through His image bearers. But then also to we see how sin has tainted, um, or at least is part of these Pop Culture works. And it, it, sh- it shows us a way that we can, you know, our, our children love, they ultimately love, they ultimately long for God, and uh, they see the fingerprints of God in His image bearers, and it kind of draws them to these popular culture works. But because of sin, there's, um, there is uh, danger there, um, but there's also much enjoyment, and we want to help. Uh, I, d- I just think it's kind of a pop culture's an image, uh, image bearing training ground where you can, uh, where you can disciple your children to live in this world and not some fictitious world that doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Like children, um, we live in a popular culture world. Now you, as if we're going to do discipleship, we have to disciple our children to live in this world and to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. And so we hope that parents pick it up, but also that by word of mouth, they, they mention it to their pastor where their pastors pick it up and then give it to the, teach the parents along these lines. But I think that anyone who who picks it up will benefit from it. I, I don't think there's just a one stop shop. Any believer and any, I mean, even unbelievers, kind of thinking through um, how do Christians, you know, think about the world? Like Christianity is often portrayed as this, you know, it's something you do on Sundays type thing. And and I think that this book helps to show that it's all encompassing. It is a life uh, devoted to Christ. Yes, Dad, I'd love to hear you speak to that. Yeah, I would love to see youth pastors get their grubby paws on this book because <laughs> um, youth pastoring is a hard gig, man. You, and and it feels like either it is just let's sit down and behave and study the Bible and and do what we can to keep the culture at bay, or it's let's make an entertaining Friday night so that you guys don't go away. Please don't go away. Please don't go away. And there's, <laughs> and there's not a lot of, I feel like there's not a lot of resources for youth pastors where they can start equipping their kids to be culturally, um, not just culturally savvy, but cultural ambassadors to start understanding the cash value of the gospel in terms of the ideologies and the beliefs and the, competing religions out there 
it's um like we're in first century Athens, mm. right? There Amen. are there's so much going on um religiously. Um Tara uh Isabella Tara Isabella Burton has a um has a really good book called Strange Rites in which she's talking about there's just a whole weird mix of uh religions and and a lot of that gets reflected in popular culture. If we're not teaching kids to read co- popular culture properly and understand how it, how the gospel challenges that, how it magnifies the gospel, the idols that are uh, that are challenging their own beliefs, then we're not we're doing a disservice to them and to their friends and community that they'll get to talk to. So it's all about it's all about ambassadorship. I'd love to see youth pastors get their hands on this book. So, Stephen, I want to come to you in just a minute to follow up on a point Jared made about how we're discipling people to live in the world that exists. And I would say maybe the story that exists. And what I'd like to ask you after I follow up with Ted here is, in what way is it useful to read stories of worlds that don't exist uh, to help us live in the story that does exist? But, Ted, I would just follow up on the audience point with you and say, do you share my hope that this may be used as a textbook? And I'm thinking of these seminaries that are investing in family minister tracks, prepping people to specifically work with families and churches. And I think, oh, my word, please put the pop culture parent on your syllabi. Put it in the curriculum map. We want to see this there. Uh, you and Jared in particular are much more in the academic world than I am. Is that hope naive or should I, should I keep the hope burning? So two things. Number one, it's not this isn't an this wasn't written self-consciously as an academic textbook. It was written on a lay level. Um, So so you're not going to get the sort of detailed uh, theological discourse that you would in a typical seminary textbook. Having said that, I still think I'd love to see it on syllabi um, because I think that in some ways, it does kind of go theologically deep, but tries to do so in in uh, layman friendly terms. And I would just love to see a generation of future pastors and future leaders in the church at least have cultural engagement on their radar, because it, because it, it seems like a lot of times seminaries tend to narrow the vision. Um, or I, I mean, I was in the seminary, I was in, uh, in Westminster in the eighties and it just, and, and except for a f- couple of professors, it was very, very narrowly focused, um, and could be kind of sequestering or isolating, you know, kind of, you've got a buffer between you and the world. And that's, that's death for the church. The church needs mm-hmm. to be out there mixing it up with folks. And to do that, we need to be speaking the language of the people. And a lot of that language, a lot of those categories, a lot of those concepts and ideologies are given to us through popular culture. Those stories, we need to understand them. We may not agree with all of them, but come on, a lot of them are awesome. <laughs> right. And where does, and where does the awesome come from? Um, it comes from, like Jared was saying, the image of God in us and the yearning that people have, the, the, what Calvin called the census divinitatis, that we know that there's something out there. We know there's someone out there, um, but getting through the static, the spiritual static is hard. And that's what this book aims to do is, is try to get help students, help Christian leaders, including parents, train 
their students, their high school students, their elementary school students, their college students, how to negotiate that static in a way that will help them reach their generation. Amen. Ted mentioned that the book was not uh, intended as a, an academic resource primarily, but I want to encourage anyone who is considering making this book a part of their syllabi or a, a course uh, at church or someplace like that. Uh, the heavy lifting has been done. Uh, for example, you know, when we had a portion of a chapter dealing with an objection to the idea of engaging popular culture, First uh, Thessalonians 5.22, uh, abstain from all appearance of evil uh, in the KJV. I, I seem to recall, and I think, Ted, this was mostly uh, you for a while. There were multiple pages there delving into the Greek and everything. What does uh, appearance of evil mean? You know, we did our homework, even if it is not all reflected in the final product, because, mm -hmm. again, the goal is to get the book in front of m as many people as possible. We want to reach as broad an audience as possible. So I, I do think that the, the the heavy lifting has been done. And although I, I can I definitely expect that we'll we'll be meeting some criticism, I would hope that that criticism is constructive and that it understands that, you know, we cannot say everything there there is possibly to say in a book of this length because we want to reach as many people as we can in the real world. And I really liked Jared's point earlier, as you mentioned, Jeff, about this being uh, a book all about the real world. I think even going into this project, I was still haunted with the suspicion that all this popular culture stuff, you know, this geeky stuff about movies and games and memes and all that. Well, that's that's not the real world. I mean, OK, reluctantly, we have to go here as Christians, as missionaries. You know, this is something that we just got to do. You know, it's like going to the bathroom. Like, OK, fine. You know, this is just part of living here, but it's not something I'm going to write a whole book about, really, unless I absolutely have to. But in fact, popular culture is the real world. Uh, there's actually a part in the book where we we, we say you know, there's a suspicion that, OK, well, we've talked about movies and TV now and now it's time to say grace and bless the food. And let's let's actually talk about the real world and start the youth group. No, in the real world, people love popular culture. So even if it was some neutral force, that would be something that Christians would have to confront or engage with. But in fact, as we show in the book, chapter two, popular culture is not just some neutral thing, no, much less an all positive or all negative or mostly negative or mostly positive thing. All these stories and songs and games and music and all of this, this is a gift of God. God doesn't make it directly, but going back to Genesis where God gives the cultural mandate, be fruitful and multiply, he says. In other words, start families. The marriage and family command is right there alongside the idea of going into God's creation and making our own creations. Professor Tolkien would call that sub-creating. People are supposed to image God back to him by making stuff using God's stuff. And you start with basics like agriculture and naming the animals and zoology and environmental stewardship. But then implicit there is the idea that people were also going to make tools in order to till the earth and sort the animals. And that would lead to writing. And then that would lead to music making. And it would lead to stories. Eventually, you get an early form. You would get an early form, even in a perfect world, of popular culture. And then you combine those stories and the songs that you sing around the campfires at night after the harvest is in, combine that with the technology that people make, and you get popular culture. That's inevitable. That's what would happen in the real world, even without sin, before we start talking about what sin does to that world. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about it in these terms, but uh, sociologist Peter Berger talks about culture 
as something that is externalized, like it's stuff out in the world, chairs and shows and things like that. And it gets internalized. And it's that dynamic of things out there that get internalized, things in here that get externalized. And that kind of conversation, when people talk about, oh, this is get your head out of culture and let's start talking about the real world. That's a really naive and overly simplistic way of thinking about it. It's a fantasy. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't exist. The stories that we imbibe, that that we consume and the films and the games and all of the rest of it are our world. They shape the way we perceive the real world. There is no real world without culture. The only one who kind of hovers over it with absolute infallibility is God himself. Only only God has this sort of trans cultural perspective, which means there's stuff we can learn <laughs> from different cultural perspectives. We're not God. We uh, learning culture, even popular culture is not a fool's errand. It's it's coming to grips with where and who we actually are. Something something I want to add to that. And this is something we argue in the book, uh, pop, popular culture. It's not only the real world, but it's also telling you the, the, that the, what the world is becoming. Like usually it's a step ahead of what the world actually is. I mean, usually new ideas are tried out in popular culture before they actually are put into law or put into um, trickling down to communities. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's really prime, a prime training ground of discipleship for living in this world, but also in the world that your children are going to grow up to live in. And it really is. It's something it's I guess it's it's almost an untapped resource. What we're what we're doing in this book is an untapped resource that parents are. We we believe that parents are missing out on and that youth pastors are potentially missing out on. I think that's an excellent point. And if you if you get that in your head, it has an incredible explanatory power for just watching the news, particularly with bioethical uh, developments that are coming up. And you think we all know the the kind of cliche that those who know history are doomed to watch other people repeat it, right? But those of us who know science fiction are doomed to watch people attempt it. And so I do think there's a Petri dish element here that story can do. It's almost eschatological in that way. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. don't think, like you, I don't think that the church is doing a particularly great job of kind of capitalizing on that and saying, well, guys, let's play this out. Let's go live in this world. Uh, for a little while. And what would that be like? I think story can do that for us in it. It doesn't have to be done in the pulpit. It can be done outside the pulpit. Then when the church gathers in homes or wherever for coffee and conversation while there's rich fodder. Well, Jeff, you mentioned earlier the value of those imagined worlds. And that's, I suppose, where I come in as as someone who creates uh, novels. I mean, not not published yet. Uh, nonfiction for me uh, actually outpaced uh, the fiction projects, but we'll see but that is something that I'm aiming to do professionally. And although pastors, preachers, teachers, I mean, their job is to be, uh, you know, more of the, the nonfiction uh, format. I mean, their task, and, and let's be absolutely clear here, we're not saying that pastors are supposed to be the storytellers or the purveyors of popular culture. Um, actually, C.S. Lewis has a, a famous quote where he says that these things, where, where Christians make them, these things need to come from Christian playwrights and poets and novelists and not quote, the bench of bishops, uh, end quote, uh, doing these things in their spare time. The pastor's role is to preach and teach and shepherd and disciple more directly. The Christian's role 
who is uh, who's making these stories is to do these as an act of worship in that way, not just as another way to preach. The Christian who is making these stories is not supposed to be preaching. They're supposed to be doing what you said as, as a way to simulate reality. And yet even non-Christians, as we know, are still gifted by God. They have God's image in them. They have the ability to unlock and cultivate these talents to make amazing movies and music videos and websites and all of these things that can glorify God even over top of their intentions. And they reflect his image and reflect either the condition of our world now or previously, or even how it could be, like you were saying. Um, I just want to piggyback on what Stephen said, that um, it's imaginary worlds that popular culture puts out there for us to inhabit um, gives us not just as Jared said, the way the world could be, the way the world may be moving, but there's a normative aspect to the way the world should be. Right. You know, you can't watch something like Star Trek, the next generation. I know I'm dating myself or, or the other iterations of Star Trek without saying there's somebody there who wants to say, this is how the world ought to be folks. This is the way it is. And if you, and, and it's reckoning with, okay, what is that vision of the world? get right? What, where does that vision kind of peel off from what God says the world ought to be like? What sort of, what sort of questions do we really need to wrestle with? All of those, there's, there's a lot of moral, spiritual questioning going on in popular culture, in non-Christian popular culture, that the church, when it, when she blinds herself to that, um, really sets herself at a disadvantage because she's going to be asking questions or answering questions that nobody's asking. So yes, that's, I, I just agree with what you guys are saying. Now, Ted mentioned when the church blinds herself to that, and I'd be curious, you know, he, he might answer it or define that differently than I would. Uh, what I see happening is when people talk about the church or Christians uh, ignoring popular culture or not engaging in it or teaching their kids to engage it in the best way, I see at least two main courses that Christians have done that. And mostly, I think, in, in a previous generation or two, uh, of course, that the stereotypical solution has been a posture of suspicion of popular culture. What is this stuff doing here? Uh, kids, you ought not go to the theater. Uh, you need to be only focusing on your Sunday school lessons uh, and your education at the one-room schoolhouse. Uh, and then more recently, you even get the idea that, okay, Certain movie ratings are okay, or certain uh, Christian-only popular culture is okay. Uh, we can sort of outsource the discernment uh, to a favorite uh, minister or ministry or series of web reviews and such. I appreciate those resources that Christians have made in order to engage Christian-made popular culture or secular-made popular culture, but that is a that is of limited value if we don't understand the point of popular culture. The other view that I think Christians have uh, been not uh, engaging in popular culture in the most biblical way uh, feels more biblical and even feels more missional. But the other view is uh, the idea that popular culture is mostly okay. Uh, Ted actually helped me to see this in uh, his book, Popologetics. Um, what was it you said there, uh, Ted? It was like, it's, it's all good. There's the, it's, the, it's yeah. all good approach. Yeah. Uh, popular culture is nothing or exclusive, almost exclusively common grace. We need not talk about the potential idols of popular culture or the potential temptations that popular culture uh, has on our hearts. 
We can just talk about uh, the liturgy of XYZ or the fact that so-and-so superhero is a redeemer figure who sacrifices himself to save the world and then dies in a crucifix pose. Uh, this is famously parodied by the idea, well, let's, let's go watch the R-rated movie and find the redeemer figure. Uh, this too is of limited value because although there is great common grace in popular culture and the people who make it reflect God's image, there is also great potential for idolatry. There is bad stuff in popular culture, just like there's bad stuff in the human heart. A more fully biblical engagement with popular culture, I, I think, is, is better reflected by the five-question system that we have in the pop culture parent, and uh, to which Ted was alluding earlier, the idea of finding the idols in popular culture, not just the bad words or the violent bits, and then showing how the false promises of popular culture cannot be fulfilled uh, by the story or song itself. The story or song does not contain a good fulfillment to that promise. The only good fulfillment of the good hope reflected in that thing comes through Jesus and comes through the gospel. Yeah, I just, I wanted to insert here um, something that we say once or twice in the, in the book, but, um, but for any nervous parents out there, this is, we're not saying that your kids need to be and or you need to be conversant with popular culture uh as a substitute for being conversant with the bible amen there there are a lot of really i have been for a while there's a lot of really disturbing statistics about the the shallowness of biblical knowledge within uh both evangelical adults and kids and the stuff in uh, the stuff in papologetics and the stuff in uh, the pop culture parent really kind of only works if you if you're working from a, a solid basis, yeah. right? You need a foundation. You need to be reading your Bible as a family. You need to be doing Bible story time. You need to be praying together. You need to be you know, having Sunday schools where you actually are. So when I when I said the thing about you know the youth group sit down and study the Bible. Um, I would say, yeah, you got to know what's in the Bible. If you're bibli biblically ignorant, you are going to have a really hard time approaching any of these ideologies or religions or idolatries with any sort of discernment because you you won't know. You just won't know what um, what the what the truth is. You're, it's so easy to fall for a counterfeit when you're not really grounded in the truth. So um, so we are cheerleaders for getting cognizant about popular culture and getting into your child's world and being there with them. Yes, but you also ought to be leading your kid into understanding what the Bible actually says um, and what the gospel really means, the cash value of the gospel. Amen. I so appreciate that emphasis on the priority of the word and I think you're right on. Now, we would confess that the Word has a supernatural power that other stories don't. The Lord is pleased to use <laughs> preaching the, the, the Word to uh, sanctify His people. I, I'm with you on that. I, I would say, though, as a guy who works with students in an educational environment and who pastors in a small university town, uh, I initially kind of heard the idea, I, I don't know which term you prefer, postmodern or like Charles Taylor's advanced modern, but that there's a skepticism toward meta narratives, right? Big stories that we fit. And I thought, well, that means I need to just kind of stay away from that emphasis in scripture. If I'm going to make the text explainable to students, I found it to be completely the opposite. We're created to be in a story. Kids want to know, young people want to know which meta narrative they belong to because they, 
recognize there are competing versions. And one of the things that I found really useful with pop culture is with kids who maybe are raised in a Christian environment, but we have lost the argument already for credibility. When we say things like, you know, insert traditional views of human sexuality, and by traditional, I mean historic Christianity, or um, traditional views of what it means for human or what routes are available for humans to flourish in. In a lot of ways, the argument's already been settled in their hearts. And, and the story kind of helps me pull back their assumptions and say, can you just take a fresh look at that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are you already connecting with that's in contradiction to what you think your priorities are? So if the person listening uh, is still skeptical and you think, no, nah, I don't need to, I don't need help on this. I kind of know my approach. Uh, these guys emphasize the word. And they do it in a way that's useful to pastors, to personal discipleship, and the church in general. So you need to hear them saying this stuff uh, and believe what they're saying. But I would like to kind of maybe move in that direction with all three of you. I'll start with Jared. Is there a noticeable way in your own life that pop culture has impacted your discipleship that's sort of informing the way you're thinking through your contributions to this book? Yes. I mean, you know, as a father of four children, you know, you, you know, Disney is a big part of your your children's lives usually. And not only that, but Pixar and, and so, and there's so much awesome in there, you know, things that you love ultimately because you love God and they can tell a story there, man, can they tell a story? And so our children are drawn to that. And uh, I think utilizing that as an opportunity to, to train them and disciple them is beneficial and to where my children uh, we were watching Shazam, and uh, my 11-year-old daughter spoke up and said, um, and I don't understand why Billy's better than the other guy, <laughs> you know, mm. because he was, you know, he was just as immoral, just on, just in differing ways than the bad guy in that movie. And so for an 11-year-old to be able to spot that um, is very helpful. And then I can make much of Jesus, you know, and then make much of the gospel and how she recognized, even though this story is awesome and we love the superhero, um, ultimately we need a hero who is indeed worthy and uh, we're not. And so we can um, run to him. And, and, and that's something these stories can't provide. And if they do, many times it's, I mean, or you think of like Moana where a demigod's the savior or, um, you know, there, there's just, you know, Jesus, the God man, you know, God coming to redeem sinners. It's just, it's beautiful. It's a, it's the best story ever. And um, these these other stories that we see is awesome. It helps to show um, how much awesomer uh, the gospel is, you know. And uh, I, I've really, you know, th- this is what our, our book is what was missing when we were kids, Jeff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we were, I mean, I, the approach that I wish that we had been taught this growing up because we basically drank deeply of pop culture. But then also to sort of so to show how bipolar the church's approach was in our childhood. So we drank deeply, but we also regularly had bonfires where we burned CDs. Yeah, we burned CDs and <laughs> we were taught that, you know, we I mean, they they were doing they did what they thought was right. And, you know, we love them and we're part of the reason we're who we are. You know, we don't want to throw off on those who come before. But we do want to say that, like, I remember being taught that do not listen to secular music, anything non-Christian. But then I was taught, don't watch R-rated movies. You can watch PG-13 movies. And I, I remember as a teenager, we were wrestling with that, like, wait a second. You know, this, this secular music is PG, but I can't listen to it because it's secular. But I can watch a secular movie if it's up to PG-13. It was just the logic just wasn't there, you know. And um, But uh, but anyway, I, I don't. 
again, I don't want to throw off. I'm, I'm a believer because of those saints that have come before and, and taught me. Um, but we want to help more consistently prepare children to live again in this world. And uh, th- this approach, I'm praying that my children, um, instead of just using um, pop culture as leisure, man, use utilize it as discipleship. Like, I mean, mo- most people listening to this podcast are, are engaging in pop culture and they're doing it with their families and their children. We're just saying do it in a distinctly Christian manner. Ted, uh, comment on that and or how pop culture storytelling has impacted your own discipleship. Uh, um, so like, uh, like Stephen and Jared, I grew up in the church and, uh, there's, um, there's a lot I want to say, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. So, um, a couple of things I'm pretty ADD. So, uh, if I've heard something enough times, it's easy for me to get bored with it. Um, and the gospel itself and the teachings of the church are not immune to that. You know, if you if you sit in the pew and you hear it again and again and again and again, you're like, OK, OK, yeah, Jesus loves me for my sins, blah, 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 um, about stuff that shouldn't be blah, blah, blah. But there it is. And what I've found is that um, I'm especially fond of movies just because I get sucked in and uh, a vicarious identification with the character. And when the character is doing something I know is not right. I feel that moral queasiness. I identify with it and say, oh, I need cleansing. Mm-hmm. Or when a character shows integrity and um, and shows real character in a way that maybe I wouldn't. I was like, ah, I could should be like that. And it leads me to the gospel. <laughs> or when I see um, or when I see redemption. You know what what Tolkien would call eucatastrophe, the 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 sudden reversal that brings everything into a new light, and uh, and I I'm like ah why can't that happen in 2020? <laughs> Where is it? And um and it and it kind of uh, sharpens my own desire for for redemption for what God's going to do someday. You know my my own hunger for the eschaton. So in all of these ways, I find that pop culture kind of nudges me this way and that if I'm intentional about it. When I grew up, I grew up watching Monty <clears throat> Python. I grew up watching Three's Company and getting all this stuff and not really thinking, listening to Pink Floyd and not really thinking about it because because Pink Floyd was selling something deep. You know, my high school self said, wow, these guys are understanding the depths of despair and and uh, and this is cool and this is awesome. And in a way it is because what they're showing is what life is like if God is dead. This is the alternative. It's it's a really beautiful despair. As a Christian, I can step back from that and say, but wait a minute, it's not all despair. And I can affirm that, you know, Roger Waters was a songwriting genius and all that. But I don't have to let it uh, shape my worldview. And for a while it did. You know, for a while I was a very cynical fellow, as only high school juniors and seniors can be. <laughs> um, so so and back then there just wasn't. Um, yeah, I mean, there there just wasn't anything besides this kind of fundamentalist 
burn your records back then they were called lp guys <laughs> um, you know burn your records and do this and do that and don't read this and don't read that um i I think your uh, our discipleship can be enriched, you know, knowing the weaknesses of your own heart um, mm-hmm. and and knowing what to what to avoid. Um, but I think in discipleship can be enriched when we understand how the gospel interfaces with what the what popular culture has to offer. So, Stephen, same question to you with stories and discipleship, particularly your own. But then when you're done and I'm happy to remind you of this. We've been talking about two very polarized approaches to pop culture in the church. Drink it all up, man. It's fine. It's all good. As you've already mentioned from Ted's own work. Or what are you doing? It's pagan. I want to know if your book represents that hallowed middle way or if you see it more as a set of tools to bring uh, to bear on a common human experience. But first, stories in your own life and discipleship. Absolutely. Well, I sometimes wish that I had grown up with such a uh, a broader exposure to popular culture. Uh, when I hear uh, Jared talking about even the more um, uh, separatist mindset that he had uh, on Sundays, apparently, uh, but then you know watching uh, other types of movies uh, Monday through Saturday, I think, wow, you know, Jared's Jared's really been around. Uh, and then uh, you hear Ted talking about Pink Floyd in high school, and I think, wow, Ted Ted's really been around. You know, he he he's a total pagan. I'm certainly glad he got saved. <laughs> uh, as for me, um, I grew up in in a home a large homeschooling family. Yes, one of those. We had the large van and everything. I mean, all of those Babylon on B parodies are about us. And I thank God for that. You know, there's been some times when I wish, oh man, I, w- I wish I could have had you know this experience. I wish I could have gone to prom and all that. But like, eh, uh, maybe that stuff is overhyped. You know, as it is, I think it gives me a little bit of an edge in understanding um, how Christians have reacted to popular culture in the past. Uh, when I grew up uh, roughly in order, and most of what I enjoyed was Christian made popular culture. There was a character who sang praise songs named Salty the singing songbook and at least, you know, a couple dozen cassettes. Yeah, I see y'all. Yeah, y'all understand that. Hey, Salty's gold. He's still around. He's my Facebook friend now. No joke. Uh, and I'm now also Facebook friends with some of the folks who made the Adventures and Odyssey audio drama, which probably more than any other popular culture influence uh, helped to shape my perspective on biblical truth and fantastic imagination. Literally, as you were talking about burning the LPs or burning the the CDs, I remember an Odyssey episode where they sent up the idea of a bunch of conservative parents getting together to burn the rock music cassettes. And they replaced that idea. They challenged it winsomely in the story. But even this one little episode, they replaced that idea with the idea of a parent learning that he needs to speak with his daughter about the stuff she was listening to and enter her world. And I cannot emphasize how much that little episode must have influenced my role in this project. And from there, I got into the Chronicles of Narnia. And then you know, in high school, finally discovered J.R.R. Tolkien. So I know what you catastrophe means and some creators and all that good stuff. And then it's onto the superhero movies. And I can say without qualification that Spider-Man saved my marriage because Spider-Man 2 came out in 2004. And I was just beginning to understand, Okay, this is how stories can can serve as a source of temptation. You know, there's some wish fulfillment there. Uh, Even in the early Spider-Man movies, there's some objectification of Mary Jane that I'm not at all thrilled with. My wife certainly isn't. Uh, But at the same time, you see this hero trying to balance his calling to be a hero with his need to take care of his family and his girlfriend. And he's willing to sacrifice a dream for the greater good. 
And that taught me a lot to just, even from a biblical perspective, just seeing this, this image of a hero, he's not just, you know, dying to save the city or dying to save the world, but he's just daily dying to self. And that's just one little example of how this idea of finding grace in popular culture, while also being aware of the idols and their tug on the sin in our hearts, uh, both of those can be so helpful. And the, the metric that we've come up with in the book is not just, uh, you know, counting up the cuss words or, you know, figuring out which limb got lopped off in this PG-13 movie off screen. You know, those can be tempting in other ways, particularly if your child or yourself has a sensitive heart. And we have a whole chapter about that, uh, about discerning, you know, the, the sensitivities of your child's heart. Uh, but instead, we're going through three examples of popular culture in the book and teaching others to do the same, where we're going through our five questions, including the discerning of the idols. You know, what does the story think is good? that may have a good hope behind it, but that can only be fulfilled ultimately in Christ, that the story itself cannot fulfill its own promise. Um, I just wanted to point out that um, Stephen is a hardcore DC guy. Mm-hmm. And I just heard him say, Spider-Man saved my marriage. I wanted to get that on tape. Well, that sort of belies <laughs> the claim, does it not? I, I'm not just a hardcore DC guy, but DC's on the ascendancy right now. No, I, I can't help but be enthused. <laughs> Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. No, Sp- Spidey's my man. I've got I've got my Spider-Man PS4 game. I've got a Spider-Man lamp. I've got action figures all in a box right now waiting to get my office set up. But yes, okay. I, I love DC and Marvel. Uh, in in different degrees. It depends on the project, depends on the hero. <laughs> Steven, thoughts on uh, Derp Spider-Man? Well, this is where we again learn that Ted is more pop cultural savvy than I am. <laughs> I've been moving and I've been becoming recently, again, a foster parent of two teen girls. So I don't even know what Derp Spider-Man is. I'm oh, outside. He... I've been over sheltered my homeschool roots. Oh, uh, no, Derp Spider-Man's from way back. He was, oh, okay. Oh, well. He I was Peter Parker <laughs> with the Venom and, he, and dancing down the avenue and stuff like that. Oh, it's well. the most cringeworthy Spider-Man there is. Oh, well, Spider-Man 3. I'm going to defend Spider-Man 3 a little bit because he taught me a lot <laughs> about forgiveness. I'm no joke. Overstuffed. All the criticisms are true. Almost all of them are true. But no, there's a great message of forgiveness in there. See, folks, you need to engage and discern the common grace in even the movies that the trends decide are not cool. Like Spider-Man We'll, we'll just say if you can if you can forgive Marvel for Spider-Man 3. You have depth of forgiveness indeed. <laughs> Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 3 is better than Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, oh my uh, word. I'll, I will go to the mat for that. Yes, oh I will. Gentlemen, I'm yes, going to have to corral this conversation. <laughs> but uh, that we, Superman is better than them all. So we, go ahead, Jeff. We also need to then stay on later to let Stephen give vent to this. Um <laughs> So the 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 question I would kind of bring us to, because you have been incredibly generous with your time, and I appreciate uh, appreciate this time with you for the podcast. The book is The Pop Culture Parent. And so I'm assuming, and based on some things I know just in conversation with Jared, there is a particular eye to the home, the, the paideia of God, the loving discipleship education of the Christian home. So if we could kind of come full circle and come back to a book that helps parents. When when you think about pop culture in the home, what's the first thought that comes to your mind and how do you hope the book will contribute to it? Um, so there's two thoughts that come to my mind sort of simultaneously. And one was in my home, there just wasn't a lot of guidance with regard to popular culture. Dad was busy and doing his own thing, and he was very much a 60 Minutes kind of guy and didn't watch Disney with us kids. 
back in the 70s and didn't watch Monty Python and just kind of scoffed at the idea, didn't get the humor, didn't want to get the humor. And my mom was kind of in her own little operatic world. And and so there was just never it, it just never I we were my, me and my brother were out to sea. We, we had we had no mooring. And I think that's unfortunate. And uh, without kind of tooting my own horn so much, um, the other thing that comes to mind is, is uh, of course, One Piece, uh, the anime. Um, when, when my son came home from school and said, Dad, Dad, there's this Japanese animation about uh, a, a guy named Monkey D. Luffy who wants to be king of the pirates. And I was like, what are you talking about? What do you smoke at that school of yours? What are you, what's going on? And it was like, no, no, it's really great. It's really great. And then, and I was like, and I was ready and I dismissed it. I was like, this is just silly. And then he and his sister started watching it on the computer. And as they were watching it on my computer, I would come in, kind of look over and I'm like, huh, that's a lot of colorful characters doing a lot of weird things. And then I started sitting down and watching it. And I was like, can you explain to me what is going on? Because they were 60 episodes in and they were like, oh, you want to start from the beginning? Let's go back to the beginning. And then we went back to the beginning and uh, and we started it. And then Carolyn's my wife started coming around and was like, what is going on? We're like, come on, we're at water seven. All right, let's go back to the beginning. And so we just oh, kept wow. going. And then this is like hundreds of episodes, folks, by the way, this is the longest yeah, yeah, running yeah. anime ever. It's like a thousand episodes by now. Well, maybe it was Arabasca, but either way, either way, um, it just became our thing. This was our family's Sunday night thing. After we prayed, we would all gather and we would watch the episode. And this is this is a thing that has spanned 15 years mm-hmm. of our of our family life. We're right now, my youngest is studying in university in in a town two and a half hours away. We're not allowed to watch the newest episodes of One Piece until she comes home. And then we binge watch several episodes. Um, And we've had so many good conversations in response to what happened on the screen. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to a urge all of the listeners to go back and start watching it because you will if you like binge watching it, this will ha- you have plenty, plenty to binge watch. Um, but there was a there was one very, very sad part where um, where a character. How do I put this generally? So I don't, I'm not spoiling it. A character suffered a devastating loss. Mm. And the next the next morning ready to go uh you know as somebody close to him died and next morning my kids are weeping at the breakfast table like weeping and mm. and so we started talking about death and what death means and what hope christians have in the face of death and that's not a conversation you get to have all that often no. It was it was just this was something it, this is a show that has become a family friend. No, it's not Christian. Yes, there's some stuff that, you know, so, some stuff that we would prefer they did it differently or whatever. But it's um, it becomes a discipleship training ground. Hmm. It becomes something to say, OK, do you see what they're doing? 
here's here's how the gospel does it differently and better. Mm. And uh, and I think that in the end shapes minds, imaginations, lives in a way that glorifies Christ and makes them conversant with other anime nerds as a way that uh, in a way that they wouldn't have been or or I hadn't been like my kids are teaching me Mm. um, otherwise. I, I'm pop culture is is a is a welcome guest in our family because it gives us uh, a chance to discuss that. That's the first thing I think of. And in the book, as I mentioned, Ted has a really good chapter about discerning your child's heart. I mean, not every work of popular culture is going to be appropriate for the child, not just because, oh, no, it may have some bad words in it. I mean, some people are more naturally resistant to bad words. Uh, some people, if they hear bad words, it's not going to make them sin any more than usual. But maybe there's a story, whether it's an anime or a song or whatever, uh, that brings out thoughts of depression or something worse. You know, dark imagery, for example, you know, can be uh, very, um, very scary, especially to a younger child. You know, and maybe that's not appropriate for them. Maybe it never will be appropriate for them. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, the um, one of the Bible anime I used to watch, because sometimes I forget, I was exposed to anime very early. It was a cartoon series called Superbook. Uh, they would not shy away from the scary moments of scripture. Uh, there would be some like the snake in the garden of Eden had these glowing red eyes. And for a, a, a kid in, uh, I guess it was elementary school, uh, there, I mean, that was pretty terrifying. Uh, the man whom Moses murdered, uh, would, uh, come to life in his dreams and haunt him. And you go, ah, ha, ha, ha. yeah, that was pretty terrifying. <laughs> so parents must also be aware. I mean, it's funny now. But you all have kids who've been terrified of monsters under the bed. And then just occasionally some of us take it to that more uh, spiritual level and we're terrified of monsters in the Bible. And that's the Christian way to be scared of monsters under the bed. Uh, anime, though, I mean, even even lately, um, uh, Lacey and I have uh, two uh, two teenage girls uh, staying with us now. We do we do foster care. And even in the past couple of months. Just connecting over, there it is again, specifically anime, including some specific shows that we were into. Uh, you can just see their eyes go wide. Like, wait a minute, I can I can share my world with these people. I mean, it's not an absolute solution uh, every time, but it definitely helps to be able to find those connecting points, to find what we have in common, and then enter one another's world. You know, and as a result, I've been able to share some of the pop culture parent with them, uh, even as we're exploring the you know the anime that they're into. You know, there's some stuff, obviously, that they're into that we're not as much and the dynamics are a little bit different you know, in, in fostering. They, they come with stuff that they're already accustomed to, you know, and a, and a wide open, you know, TikTok is always on their smartphones type policy. But, hey, there's some funny stuff on TikTok. And at least so far, they've been very open to sharing those. And, hey, there's some funny stuff. But and, and then even though just this past week, brothers, um, Chadwick Boseman, who played Black Panther, died suddenly, shockingly. No one knew. No one knew he had been fighting cancer just these past four or five years or so. Uh, and that opened a very similar opportunity uh, that Ted was talking about to to talk about death, you know, and and talk about his legacy and the characters that he'd played and his view on heroism. And apparently uh, he was also a professing Christian, which is wonderful and opens those discussion uh, opportunities. Uh, and at one point I was speculating out loud, hey, wait a minute, if he was a Christ follower, and all of Jesus's adopted sons and daughters have a destiny of being kings and queens in the new heavens and new earth, then does that mean we get Wakanda for real? <laughs> Which would be amazing. And that's imagination. <laughs> and it is speculative. 
but it is not without biblical foundation. Christ has promised to renew the planet Earth, not just nuke it from orbit and send it off into oblivion in order to take us up to a spiritoid heaven. But there is a prophecy that the gospel in Christ, when he returns, will transform this existence into the new heavens and new earth, a cosmic renewal, first the judgment by fire, and then this marvelous recreation of our planet and the whole universe. And that may include, as we speculate in the book, it may include some kind of popular culture. Now, what happens now to our stories and songs, we don't know for sure. We have some speculation at the end of the book, but it's a safe place to speculate, I think, biblically of, wait a minute, what if there really was a Wakanda someday? What does that African Afrofuturistic kingdom say about the longings of our hearts where maybe there's this wonderful place where there's this combination of a futuristic city and then also this agrarian lifestyle where they're raising buffalo at outside the boundaries of the city. And then it's all shielded from the outside world with these amazing spaceships and the uh, respect (laughs) for ancestors and technology. This all of that is there for the taking. Uh, If, of course, your kids are not unduly tempted by things and you can go through the five questions that we've had in the book more formally, depending on the age and attention level of your child and the, you know, obviously the, the social setting that you have, the opportunity that you have, or at least more recently, in my case, you have those five questions, the ones that Jeff and Jared, you go through in the podcast, you have those five questions in the back of your head and you're just fluent with those. You can switch from talking about you know, what is the world that we're dealing with? What are the rules and the morality and the, you know, the shape and structure of this world? What's the good, true, and beautiful about this world? What are the idols in this world and how can we subvert them? And then finally, how does Jesus fulfill the good longings that the idols cannot possibly fulfill, either in that universe of the story or this universe that God has made? Um, Just piggybacking on that, uh, we were talking to my daughter who lives in California now, and she was like, yeah, I still haven't read Papologetics. I'm sorry, Dad. I feel like I don't really need to because... Because we were living it, mm. you know, and um, and I, I think it's a, I think it's important to like there were a lot of times where I'd like stop, stop whatever we were watching. And like, OK, guys, you and they were like, yes, dad, we understand. Da, 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 da. You know, um, do, do you understand that there's an idol being portrayed? Yes, dad, we get it. Yeah, but that's da, necessary, da, da, da. at least at first. Right. You have to yeah, do yeah, it yeah. formally no, 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 before I, it comes I, naturally. I know, but but I just want to say there is a place for just enjoying, mm-hmm. right? For just kind of letting uh, letting the moment play, and then afterwards talking about it. It's it would be easy, especially for somebody like me who's who you know lectures for a living, to become way too pedantic and just burden everything down with a lesson and and. Um, and I think it's important to understand that there's what you were talking about, Stephen, that there is uh, food for the imagination, just letting people's imaginations be dazzled. Um, I think I think you need to find a balance, right? You can't just you can't just be unintentional and just be dazzled by the wrong things all the time without grounding them in a scriptural worldview. But it's also possible to just make everything into this heavy lesson and be overly analytical all the time. Right. So there's a there's kind of a sweet spot, like in a tennis racket, where if you're doing it right, the imagination should just go kapow and and fly the right direction at the same time. 
I appreciate that note, Ted. Uh, Jared, how your book will, how the book you three have created will serve the, the home? I, I think it's extremely practical. Um, that's one of the strengths of the book is, you know, it's not, not merely here are these principles, but we actually apply them to particular um, popular culture, examples of popular culture based on um, young children and tweens and then teens. And uh, I think that's a, a, one of the biggest strengths is because it's not just here are these principles now go run with them. No, it's here here are these principles and there's here, here's how you p- apply them, what it might look like to actually applying them. And uh, so it really I think the book hits that that sweet sweet spot that Ted's talking about. Um, you know of uh, of enjoying and you enjoy the common grace, you enjoy God's fingerprints, but then also. You know, you're showing how the gospel is better, and then this is how you do it. This is how you do. So basically, they they can the way that we've discussed um, how we how we are applying the principles in this book in our own homes and in the in the local church. Um, we go into more detail in the book of what that may look like, and um, I think that is very beneficial. And I'm, I'm thankful that my that these men have helped me to you know I, I've contributed, but they've also helped me to think through. Um, how to apply the scriptures to my own children. And I'm thankful that they're still young to where I can um, do that. But, you know, you can do it at any age. You know, I mean, the the college students in your, you know, in your church, you can pull them to the side and engage popular culture with them. And then let's talk about it. And it will, I mean, you can, it can transform people's lives. That's what Ted basically does for a living, isn't it, Ted? You know, you watch movies with college students and, and, uh, Lord willing, COVID allowing. Yeah, yeah, it's kind yeah. of difficult to watch movies over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I have been part of a movie group that we'd all watch movies and then discuss it over Zoom. And that oh, was wow. pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, not with students, but with other with other Christian leaders in uh, in the UK, and that and we've we've had some really fascinating discussions. Um, yeah, I. I hope that this book will be practical in that it will train parents and Christian leaders how to think, how to ask questions about, how to direct emotions and feelings and images and all of that. So that, um, I mean, it is kind of a how-to book, but it's going to leave a lot of room up to parents and Christian leaders to sort of get good at this yourself. Amen. We give you categories and we show you how to use it once. Um, if if we would have been allowed to do a bigger book, we <laughs> would have done more examples. But um, but it's it's something that it's it's a skill. You know, it's a it's something that you get good at by doing it over and over and having those conversations and. And being forced to think about things that maybe as a Christian, you wouldn't ordinarily have thought about. Um, Not everybody out there is a profound philosopher or theologian or whatever, but I think every Christian needs to think about what they believe and why and how it interfaces with what culture, what various works of popular culture give us and why. Um, And doing that in front of your kids, sort of without a net, you learn fast. Or you crash and burn and, you know, go down in infamy. But we're <laughs> trusting that you guys, that none of our listeners will be in that category. Something that's really helpful in the book, too, as well, uh, Ted, is, you know, as children get older and become teenagers, parents, Christian parents, 
um, all parents almost feel a disconnect, like they don't know their children anymore, you know, and something something that can be a, a kind of unifying common ground is sit down and spend time in, in their world, in their popular mm-hmm. culture, instead of dismissing it, instead of seeing it as stupid, oh, I don't understand it, but actually as an act of love for your for your teenager to participate in their popular culture. And it, it can provide a common ground, just like, and Ted, you, you've lived this. And Stephen's living it now with his children. Um, you know, it really does provide a bridge. Like, like, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I just want to affirm what you're saying. Um, my middle daughter, especially, went through just some really, really rough years. And one of the things that kept us connected, um, besides just staying in touch with her and, and stuff like that, was was popular culture. Was uh, especially like. Before all of that, I, I didn't care much for electronic music, electronica, but mm-hmm. she was really, really into it. And I was like, OK, there there's probably something to this. And I started listening to it and we had some common ground. I mean, I remember from my own teenage years, there were times where I was not doing well with my dad. And the only thing that we connected on was NFL football, you know, and watching the Sunday game. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but. But I think doing it with other types, you know, there's only so much depth you can get into the gospel with the NFL, um, although there's probably work to be done there, too. But talking about a song, talking about creativity and things like that, it's a way of keeping in touch. And and I would say um, one of the one of the myths I would love to bust is that um, and we do we do talk about this in the book is that. teenagers become horrible monsters that are just looking to to despise you and and oh, yeah. eat and bite your head off and yeah, stuff no like that's that. that's not always true no certainly no not. it is that is bunk um they don't need your love any less they need you to love them differently mm-hmm. they need you in different ways and and one of the things that made these hard years with my with my daughter who's doing so much better now was every so often she would just say, you know, I know it's really, really rough for you guys, but you guys have never stopped loving me. I appreciate you guys as parents. And she said that again and again and again. And I can and I was like, whatever, whatever you need, I am there. I'm going to be we are right here. We're not going anywhere. You have tough stuff to get through. We're we're going through it with you. Uh, I mean, that's that's what the gospel's about. Mm -hmm. Right. God doesn't God doesn't boot us to the curb. When uh, when we're doing when we're doing poorly. Um, So don't listeners out there. I know that there are different tensions and peer pressures and all of that. Just don't don't give up on your teen. They need you. They don't know how to express it, but they need you. Amen. Uh, Amen. Uh, The teenagers we're taking care of right now. um, They are awesome. And and. I, it's only a few months in, so I'm not going to be naive and pretend that that may last. There's going to be challenges and we're going to have arguments over something, especially because it's a different kind of family situation, clearly, you know, being more of a foster care type situation. But mm-hmm. in either case, and whether it's, it's, it's kids that uh, you've been blessed with, you know, through a biological childbirth, you know, two parent family, single parent family, or if you're just a, a pastor, a youth minister, teacher, anybody who is blessed with the Jesus level mission of having influence over kids. This is Jesus level stuff. Like everything that we've been talking about 
in this episode is incarnational ministry. Now, some people will throw about buzzwords like that. And, you know, there's unfortunate associations uh, with, you know, oh, you're, you're compromising, you're trying to be cool, you're trying to be like the world. Like, this is not what it's about. We're not trying to be like the world. We're trying to be like Christ in the world. Mm-hmm. And Christ incarnated as a man. He had a history. He had a backstory. They knew where he came from. He lived among people. Uh, there's the cliche of, you know, Jesus floating over the ground because he didn't want to get dirt under his toenails. And Christians, every Christian would dismiss that as silly, but it's a it's an image that symbolizes that you know, above it all approach. You know, Jesus did not float over the earth uh, and not get his hands dirty. He worked with his hands and he worked with his imagination. Uh, people will often take the parables and read a little bit too much into there. You know, Jesus was you know, just trying to be cool. He was just trying to be understood. You know, sometimes he used those to hide his message only for those who had ears to hear. But we too have access to that type of imagination that he did. We are residents of this world. God has made us as beings in skin in bones. We are real people. And this is how real people glorify God. It is about reflecting God back to him through our creations and teaching our kids to do the same. So the the purpose is, of course, missional. It is, of course, discipleship, discipling our kids, discipling the kids in our classes and all of that. But the ultimate purpose behind that is to glorify God through making these stories and songs and games and whatever and enjoying them whether or not we get to do those forever today, we can do that as means of worship, not just entertainment. It's not just a story. It's not neutral. It's not just leisure. It is recreation. It is Sabbath rest type stuff that we can do for the glory of God and missions exists to make more people worshiping God. That's the chief end. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Popular culture is a way to do that by enjoying these stories. We glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well said, sir. You guys are kind of taking us on a on a journey there. In that, Ted, it got dusty in here when you're talking about your daughter, and then uh, mm-hmm. Stephen, you've got mm-hmm. us fired up, man. We're ready to go out now. Um, the book is the Pop Culture Parent. It is coming out very soon. So, gentlemen, I'm going to come back around to each of you in turn and say final thoughts and where can our listeners follow your work. But before we do that, Stephen, where can people get this book, and when can they get this book? We are blessed to have a great publisher, New Growth Press. Uh, They have published a lot of great resources, very gospel-based resources. They involve a lot of uh, counseling and relationship-type works. Uh, It is the perfect home for this type of book, and they are releasing it. They were going to release it in May, but as you know, 2020 commenced, and uh, we had to postpone that. So now we're coming out on uh, Monday, September the 7th is the official release date. I, however, have my own copy right here. We got uh, some delightful uh, boxes. Uh, literally, I think the day where I was moving uh, from one house to another, uh, this box arrived on my doorstep. I was afraid it might get lost at the old place. But the book is coming out probably by the time you listen to this, it's already going to be out. So you can find more information at thepopcultureparent.com, New Growth Press also. uh, The newgrowthpress.com has information and the complete list of endorsements and all of the the backstory of the book there at newgrowthpress.com. And of course, you can find it at Amazon and the other online retailers. And I I heard a, a vicious rumor that it's already out on Kindle. I believe I see that it is on Kindle and Amazon has it for $9.99. Wow, that is lickety split, guys. It took it took um, my previous publisher a a good couple months to get the book out on Kindle. So new growth is on point. Well, that was back in the ancient days of 2012. You know when the <laughs> yeah. readers were like you know five pounds each, and you had to drag around the power supply. 
And they were using hieroglyphics. Yes. <laughs> uh, so digital reading technology has certainly come a long way since then. And of course, it would make sense to read a book about popular culture using an electronic reading device. Sure, sure. So, Stephen, we know you have your own podcast, Fantastical Truths, that our listeners are going to be interested in. But where else can they stay up to date on what you're working on? Well, my uh, cyber ecosystem right now is lorehaven.com. That is a free digital magazine, comes out once every quarter. We review uniquely Christian-made novels in fantasy genres, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, paranormal, supernatural. Uh, We believe that there is a place for uniquely Christian-made stories, uh, even amongst uh, all the other amazing stories by other folks uh, who may not know Christ, but who can still image him and reflect good things in their works. You can go to lorehaven.com. It's a free subscription to get. It's a a digital publication that we release about once every quarter. Uh, That includes new reviews and articles. We also have a daily blog there. And there is the Fantastical Truth podcast. You can find that on any of your other major podcast streamers. Uh, We go through any issue that relates uh, to the intersection of fantastical imagination and biblical truth. And that's with my co-host, Zach Russell, and I. Ted, how about you? Um, I don't have a cool podcast. I do have a website that um, I update rarely because because uh, I'm I'm writing other stuff yeah. uh, at the moment. So the my my website is uh, turno dot cz t u r n a u dot cz because I live in the Czech Republic, and that may may change to a to another one sometime when I get the time, but I've spent most of the summer working on uh, a next book on uh, the Christian imagination in a post-Christian culture on uh, what makes or good Christian popular culture. So um, that I'm hoping to have a, a draft manuscript ready to send to an agent um, by mid September. So I'm closing in on that. And then just, uh, I don't know, it'll take half a year, a year to get out if if we find a publisher right away. But if you really want to know my work, then um, fly to Prague and <laughs> uh, I will make sure that you can get into Anglo-American University and you can sit in on my classes and I won't tell my dean. It'll be fine. <laughs> but that's mostly that's that's what I do is I I, I teach. That's I'm a I'm a. Uh, lecturer. So, um, uh, outside of the stuff that I've published in journals or, or books, um, I'm not, I'm not savvy someday, someday uh, somebody will give me a kick in the butt and I will, I will get my YouTube channel actually up and doing some content. But until that day, uh, I fly lower profile than either you two. Hey, he's lower profile, but you're being a little modest, man. You've been writing on popular culture for 15 years, probably. And there's articles. I mean, people do a Google deep dive on you. And uh, cause yeah. I, that's where I first, you know, found your articles was uh, being yeah, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, I think was the title of one of your articles back probably from 10 years ago. And yeah. um, really good, really good stuff. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff he's written. So okay, do a Google deep deep dive on Ted and uh, you'll, you'll benefit. <laughs> Um, also, uh, I'm Jared Moore, I, uh, on Twitter, Jared H. Moore. And, um, I've got a website called Protestant Reformation.net that I'm working on where it's basically just an emphasis on historical theology. And, um, that's the main thing, main project besides the pop culture, uh, besides, uh, pop culture quorum Deo, um, 
podcast, which is something Jeff and I are, are doing and uh, really enjoying. But uh, other than that, go buy the book. <laughs> yeah. So, gentlemen, I'm going to go Stephen, Ted, Jared for final thoughts. We'll put a bow on this thing and I'll rush out to read the pop culture parent. Stephen, final thoughts. I think this book is particularly relevant for this moment. It is fascinating that we have this, as we record this anyway, we have this pandemic still ongoing and starting back in March, which was originally in the old timeline, that was two months away from the book's release. Now in the fall of 2020, we see at least uh, stateside. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking, you know, as a United States resident here, uh, Ted being in the Czech Republic, it's a little bit different from him, but here it's all over the media where parents are having to do more close range parenting with their kids uh, because multiple states and municipalities have not been able or have been unwilling to open their school systems and try to return to normal. There's still the threat of the virus out there. A lot of people have been homeschooling or forming pods or whatever it is, you know, alternative education arrangements. That means that parents are working from home and then their kids are studying in the next room. This is a fantastic opportunity. Not that I'm saying homeschooling is God's only education uh, possibility or anything like that, but it does afford some advantages where you are now in your child's world, even geographically and physically, more than maybe you were before. You're going to be exposed more often to whatever they're pulling up on their smartphones or pulling up on Netflix or any of those places. Now is a perfect time to whether it's with this book or any other resources you may find, although we think this book is a great guide to those resources. It's a perfect time to understand popular culture and parenting from a biblical vantage. What is it here for? Not just uh, tips and tricks uh, to find the best stuff for your kid that you can just put on in a TV and leave the room. You know, you may need to do that sometimes if you're really busy, but it is even better to engage with your child's world, to be watching that show with them, to be asking questions like the ones that we've come up with. But even before getting to that practical stuff, even more practical is understanding from a biblical worldview, what is pop culture even for? Why is it here? What was it supposed to do? What is it doing? And what can it do in a redeemed world when Jesus regenerates our hearts with the gospel. How does that affect how we see the world and how does that affect the stories and songs that we're enjoying? Well said, brother. Ted? Uh, I think the my last thoughts would be for parents and for youth group leaders, be not afraid. Uh, it's It's really easy to feel somewhat overwhelmed by the amount of popular culture out there, the kinds of issues it's raising, the 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 kind of deep divisions that we're seeing right now in our culture and our society. And um, and I would say, don't give in to fear, rather step back, start having open a conversation with your kids, start watching and playing and listening with them, um, get up to speed on your memes and um, and just start training them, equipping them to be bridge builders in a very divided world. I think I think going into 2021, we're going to need our kids to be peacemakers, or, uh, to be people who can speak life to uh, to folks who are all too familiar with death and um, mm. and just uh, be able to pour oil on troubled waters. I would love to see our kids become peacemakers for working in the service of the Prince of Peace. Be not afraid. Take baby steps. I think you'll be happy that you did. Amen. Um, final thoughts is uh, popular cultures there we breathe and uh, almost almost everything we participate in that comes through 
any form of media, whether television, music, movies, books. I mean, all the all those things, even newspapers, most of it, even I mean, even the CNN and Fox News can't get away from popular culture in many ways, how they're that's its form, own form of popular culture. And even even politics is a form of popular culture now. Yes. I mean, it's just it's there we breathe. And so, you know, th- this book will help parents navigate some of those thorny issues so that they can help disciple their children in a way that, I mean, to where when they grow up, they'll, Lord willing, pass it on down to their children and, and so on and so on. But it's basically bringing the scriptures to bear on the world that they live in and how to glorify God in this world and not another. And so uh, parents, uh, I want to encourage you to, to get the book, read it and enjoy it. And may may it all be done for God's glory. Well, gentlemen, it has been a treat. You have been incredibly generous with your time. Listener, uh, I'm assuming you're picking up on the same themes I am here in the conversation. Stories tell us how we should view the world. So that means stories are discipling us. Let's make sure that uh, the discipleship aim is Christ's and no one else's for his glory and our enjoyment of him. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks. Hey, thanks to Ted, Stephen, and Jared for joining me on this episode and for their work on the Pop Culture Parent. Check the show notes for a link to the book's listing on Amazon or head over to New Growth Press to grab your copy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CRV Podcast. For all the folks at CRV, I am Jeff Wright, wishing you all the best in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 